What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Back in 1862, just to frame this, in 1861, you had this declaration of secession from the southern states. And Lincoln called for a volunteer army of 70,000 people. And, you know, the Civil War, well, Lincoln thought it would be over in a matter of weeks. Lee, not so much. (laughs) And uh, Lee was right on that. But in uh, July of 1861, after the secession, I mean, the the secession happened virtually the same time that Abraham Lincoln was sworn in in March of 1861. And just a few months later, members of Congress voted on expulsion. These members of the Senate, now this is just the Senate. I haven't researched the House on this yet. I just started down this line of thinking this morning. But in the United States Senate, what they did is they they said, you know, these Southern senators, James Mason of Virginia, Robert Hunter of Virginia, Thomas Klingman of North Carolina, Thomas Bragg of North Carolina, James Chestnut of South Carolina, A.O.P. Nicholson of Tennessee, William Sebastian of Arkansas, Charles Mitchell of Arkansas, John Hempel of Texas, and Louis Wigfall of Texas. These senators supported secession. They were seditious. They supported overthrowing the legitimate government of the United States, the Abraham Lincoln administration. And therefore, they should be expelled from the Senate. The resolution of expulsion was introduced on July 10th, 1861. The next day, the Senate voted, and they expelled all those people whose names I just read a moment ago and Probably, you know, you don't recognize any of them anyway, but you get the point. This is the resolution. Whereas a conspiracy has been formed against the peace, union, and liberties of the people and government of the United States, and in furtherance of such conspiracy, a portion of the people of the states of Virginia, North Carolina, South Carolina, Tennessee, Arkansas, Texas, have attempted to withdraw those states from the Union and are now in arms against the government. And, you know, and and it goes through... And it is apparent to the Senate that said senators are engaged in said conspiracy for the destruction of the union and government 
or with full knowledge of such a conspiracy, have failed to advise the government of its progress or aid in its suppression. Therefore, resolve that Mason, Hunter, Klingman, blah, 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 that they hereby are, each and all of them, expelled from the Senate of the United States. Boom. In one vote, 10 senators were removed from the United States Senate. The one guy who wasn't, William Sebastian, he did not engage in Confederate politics or military service. He was from Arkansas. He returned home, resumed his practice of law, and did not support the Confederacy, although he died in 1865. I think that what we are seeing right now with this lawsuit out of Texas, I get it that, you know, Greg Abbott, Ken Paxton specifically, the attorney general for Texas, is desperately trying to get Donald Trump to notice him so that Donald Trump will give him a pardon. He's been under investigation for a while now for multiple federal crimes. Fraud seems to be the largest kind of category that they're thrown into. You know, he thinks that with this stunt, he's going to get Donald Trump's attention and Donald Trump is going to be passing out pardons like candy pretty soon and he wants to be on that list. I get that. And I further get it, and I think this is the important point, that 106 members of the House of Representatives, Republican members of the House of Representatives, who signed on to this crazy request that Trump issued for front-of-the-court briefs, uh, amicus briefs with the, the U.S. Supreme Court, that these guys are looking at the 2022 election. Every single member of the House of Representatives is up for re-election every two years. And they are all going to face primaries, every single Republican in the House. Well, actually, not all of them, but they all could face primaries. And these 106 of them are apparently terrified that Donald Trump, even out of office, will have the power to stir up their base against them in the face of a primary. They're still terrified of Trump. And people like Ted Cruz, you know, presidential ambitions, he wants to run for president in 2024. That's why he's offering to argue this case before the Supreme Court. I get all the, you know, why they're doing this. But it's still sedition. This is still an attempt to overthrow the electoral processes of the United States of America. Sedition is a crime. I mean, it's like a high crime, as in high crimes and misdemeanors. It is a crime for which, in the past, members of the House and Senate have been expelled by those bodies. And I can't imagine that if a bunch of Democratic senators in 2016, members of the House, either one, had gone on the record saying that even though the official result was of the Electoral College, I realize Trump lost the popular vote, the national vote, by three million people. But, you know, we've got this weird, archaic system, the Electoral College. If, you know, 106 members of the Democratic Party had gone on record back in 2016 saying, we are going to petition the Supreme Court to ignore the votes of Wisconsin, Michigan, and Pennsylvania and declare that Hillary Clinton is president. Had they done that, There is no doubt in my mind that Kevin McCarthy, who is the number one Republican in the House, would be leading an expulsion challenge against them and calling for trials for treason and sedition. 
And I know, you know, the Republicans are brutal and the Democrats are nice guys and the Democrats want everybody to have a pony or at the very least have, you know, 300 bucks a week. And the Republicans are like, screw them. We want employer liability limits. I get all that. But it's still sedition. Do you agree with me that these Republicans should now be expelled from Congress, that there should be serious consequences for this, and that all of them who are lawyers should be disbarred by their local bar associations? I mean, it seems to me like there needs to be consequences, that if there are not consequences, sedition is going to become the new norm, and this country is going to be ripped apart. What do you think? Nicholas in uh, San Cristobal, Mexico. Hey, Nicholas, what's up? What's on my mind a lot, as is on your mind, if I can put two things together quickly, I want your opinion on something because I'm concerned, as we all are. Uh, I read a brief article by Ray Dalio. You may remember the name. He's the man who started the enormous Bridgewater Hedge Fund, Bridgewater Associates. Yeah, he's the guy who called um, the 2008 crash. Right. Famously. Smart guy. Now, I, I don't follow hedge fund manners because they're probably the least admirable people in this society, as well as they play everybody else and, you know, you know, game the situation. However, I do regard him as a very smart man, and this is half my link. I'm hurrying. He said this week that he has been tracking the rise and fall of empires as a sort of a hobby of his for many years, apparently. He says the United States is one step shy from one of two things, revolution or civil war. That got my attention. And then I linked it with an article yesterday in the New York Times by Thomas Edsel, also a fairly conservative writer who I don't follow closely, but whom I do regard as a very smart man. Did you catch the article yesterday, The Resentment That Never Sleeps? Yeah, I saw the headline. I didn't read the article. I'll do it oh, this afternoon. Oh, my God. You had recommended yeah. just a few days ago what The Social Dilemma. So I watched it, mm -hmm. and you had said you mm -hmm. thought that was one of the most important docs you'd seen in quite a while. Well, it was, I agree. And I think the article by Thomas Edsel yesterday was one of the most important things I've read in possibly years. It had a lot to do with new research coming out as to what motivates people to fall either to the far left or to the far right. Many of the same kind of people who go opposite extremes for different reasons. It turns out it's not economic fear, as people thought for a long, long while. It turns out that the uh, undoing of social status is the great motivator and fear driver that drives people particularly to the far right. They're terrified of losing status. They're not as afraid of losing money, amazingly. I would have thought right. that was also the known as white privilege. And be, because status is the, is the right. door that you have to open to get wealth. That's exactly to a right. Yeah. So when they feel to be in the process of being replaced by a growing Latino percentage in the overall population, ever more successful black people, or at least some more successful, they don't want any to be successful. They feel as though their status is being challenged. Yeah, Obama was a great shaking everybody. event for them. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's, this is enormous, it turns out. It's a Danish study yeah. primarily. It is beyond brilliant. I'd recommend it to you seriously and to everybody. The resentment that never sleeps, Thomas Edsel. It is yeah. just brain popping. 
Yeah. So when you put Dalio together with that, I'm like, what do you think lies ahead? This is a serious issue that I would love your opinion yeah. on quickly, if you can. People are speculating that we might be heading for a civil war, that we might be heading for tearing apart of the democracy or even a cold civil war. I get that we are in a political crisis right now. We are in a constitutional crisis right now. We are in a massive economic crisis right now, and millions, tens of millions of Americans are suffering in ways that they haven't suffered in, you know, since the Great Depression in nearly 100 years. And that we are experiencing, you know, we're in the middle of a health crisis. But the main thing that is the identifiable kind of light switch, the on-off switch, between a country that experiences crisis and then gets through that crisis, and I'm talking about democratic nations here, republics, if you will, between that and a nation that experiences a crisis and as a consequence of that crisis flips into civil war, as the United States did in 1861, the principal differentiating factor between those two kinds of countries or societies is the strength resilience, credibility, and widespread acceptance of the authority of government. When the majority of people believe that their government is solid, is stable, is credible, and when in fact the government can easily maintain control over police, over the military, over basically the levers of power within a nation, then civil war becomes very, very difficult. Countries like that can go through a lot of change, but they don't go through civil war. And on the other hand, when government is sufficiently weakened, typically from within, so it can no longer perform its normal functions, like keeping the people safe, which I, I would argue we are seeing right now with Donald Trump's totally incompetent response to the coronavirus, resulting in a third of a million dead Americans and a death rate in the United States right now. That every single day we lose more people than we did on 9-11. Every single day we lose more people than we did in Pearl Harbor. Every single day we lose more people than we did the Titanic sinking. I mean, you know, it's a, is now a small event. It was only 1,000 people, 3,000 people a day. So yeah, those are all indicators that our government has weakened. But I would submit to you that our government has been weakened largely by having Donald Trump in the White House and having these syncopants in Congress who have supported him in his sabotage. And Mitch McConnell, I, you know, the, 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 who yesterday Dr. Frank identified as a psychopath. And that kind of psychopathy is not a good thing, right? Um, I would say that the weakening, the, the current weakness of our government is largely resting in two men, Donald Trump and Mitch McConnell, and the people who are willing to collaborate with them. But it has not yet extended into our military, and to a large extent, it has not extend, yet extended into our police departments. We have some sheriff's offices that are refusing to enforce laws and declaring themselves above the law but they are not the norm. So the bottom line of all this, and sorry to turn this into a whole long rant, and then I'll, I, I, I promise I will pick up your calls right after this. 
But in my mind, the bottom line of all this is that we are not, I don't believe that the United States is at imminent risk of civil war. I don't think we're about to start shooting at each other. And in fact, the, the few people who have tried that, you know, the, the guys who wanted to kidnap Gretchen Whitmer and take her to Wisconsin and hold a show trial for her to, you know, to show what a communist she is and all this kind of, they're in prison. Uh, the, you know, the guys who, uh, there, there have been several, uh, uh, what you could call coup attempts, um, assassination attempts, kidnapping attempts, or plans. All of them by right-wingers, by the way. I think it's important to note. We, the, the problem here is confined to one side of the political spectrum. Yeah, there's, there's some people in Portland who have, you know, broken some windows. Uh, <laughs> that is not going to bring a civil war. Some, some of the more deluded among them think it might, but it's not. But what's going on on the right, frankly, I don't think is going to bring about a civil war either because our institutions are standing. Yes, Bill Barr is corrupt and has corrupted the Justice Department. There are numerous people in Trump's cabinet where the inspectors general of their departments have called for them to be prosecuted. Rachel Maddow went through the list last night on her program. I, I commend that to you. Uh, and Bill Barr refused to prosecute them. So, yeah, the rule of law has been weakened. But our institutions are holding. So don't worry about civil war. That's not what's coming. But we've got some serious house cleaning. We've got to clean this situation You're listening up. to the Tom Hartman Program. And in my opinion, that starts with, at the very least, you know, slapping the hands of, reprimanding, and the most, expelling these 106 members of Congress. Anita in British Columbia, Canada. Hey, Anita, what's on your mind today? I wanted to talk about bullies and the fact that they don't just deflect and project. They really cannot imagine a world where people aren't either bullies or victims, period. And they think everybody else thinks the way they do. So they can't, like, it's like stupid people don't know that other people aren't stupid. And I first learned this when I worked at a job where the boss's secretary was a bully who was trying to get me fired. And I decided I wasn't going to fight fire with fire because I didn't want to be like her. That's not me. And so when I would pass her in the hall, I'd smile at her. And the woman got a look of absolute terror on her face and hugged the opposite wall when I would do that. So I talked to, a, uh, well, my counselor, my psychologist counselor, and he said, the one who enlightened me and said, she just cannot imagine that you are not a bully, too, that you don't, or at least you don't want to be. And so she thinks you've got something on her. And so uh, Donald Trump and all the other Republicans who haven't, not all Republicans are bullies, but the ones who are bullies, they just can't imagine any other kind of world. Anita, I think you've tapped into some sort of a universal truth. I, I, I think I told the story a few years ago about when I was seven years old and a kid in second grade accused me of stealing their pencil box. And, and I hadn't, but you know, it, it was gone and the teacher was willing to buy that kid's accusation and I was crushed. And I went home in tears and my dad sat me down and he said, you know, people who think you're stealing are probably thieves themselves. You know, thieves think everybody's stealing. 
And uh, so, you know, what he's saying is more of a reflection on him than it is on you. So just, you know, take it that way and go on with your life. Don't worry about this. And that experience changed my life. I mean, you know, it's like yeah. I, it was such a huge wake up. And I think yep. you're right. I think bullies assume that everybody else is a bully or a victim, you know, intentionally. And they get it. Brilliant. Anita, I, I need to move along, but thank you. That was a great one. I, I appreciate it. Mayor in Allentown, Pennsylvania. Hey, Mayor, what's on your mind? You had Dr. Braddock from Rutgers on your show, and he spent almost 40 minutes talking about what Q is, QAnon. Mm-hmm. But it, I have figured out the why of QAnon, and if you can indulge me for a minute and a half, I can explain it. It hit me while I was watching a video by Holy Kool-Aid over the Thanksgiving holiday about A.G. Josh Shapiro here in Pennsylvania uncovering pedophile priests in Pennsylvania. And the phrase, save the children, popped into my head. Now, the Q people are are conservatives, and cons like institutions to remain stable. Even if they're not a part of that institution, they like the landscape to stay the same. Q is a reaction to the child rape scandal in the Catholic Church. These people are deflecting and projecting the egregious horror of these pedophile priests and the other abuses, such as the selling of children in Ireland. Q is a denial mechanism. Here's a good analogy. If a large asteroid got pulled into an orbit in the Kyber belt, let's say the, three, the four big gas giants had their, their position just right, pulled it into the Kyber belt, it would have tremendous gravity and it would start pulling along all these little pebbles. And uh, this would explain, this, this analogy explains how all of these decentralized individuals have gravitated to this movement. And it's far from harmless. Innocent people are being blamed for the wicked, the, the deeds of the truly wicked. I think you're onto something, and I think that the Catholic priest, pedophile priest scandal uh, laid the ground, seeded the ground, in part established the zeitgeist or fed it. That makes perfect sense to me. I, I, I do think, though, that there are other actors, including right-wing billionaires in the United States and foreign governments, that have been pouring gasoline into this relatively, what started out as a relatively small fire. Hugh itself, right. though, is one individual, right? As Maybe. far as we know, one group. Yeah. I would not yeah. be surprised. It's most likely this guy in the Philippines who runs a message board, yeah. It would not it would not surprise me if Q himself were a Catholic priest. It would not surprise me. Although I think that it's, you know, a, an American geek who moved to the Philippines and started a message board over there and is a just a very very bizarre person, but but, you know, yeah. just from what yeah. I've read, I mean, I don't pretend to be any expert on this or any authority on it. I just, you know, I, I just know that it's bizarre. Bill in St. Helens, Oregon. Hey, Bill, what's up? Hey, Tom, quick sidebar on the 14th Amendment. Not even a presidential pardon can restore any person to government service having once been disbarred under the 14th Amendment. It takes two-thirds vote of both right. houses. So that's important to remember. Okay, my point. Three days ago, Judge Emmett Sullivan of the D.C. District Court dismissed the Michael Flynn case as moot after a Trump preemptive pardon. Okay. I think of the pardon as a get-out-of-jail-free card, Tom. It serves no purpose until you land on the go-directly-to-jail-square. 
If it is instead used to dismiss all relevant criminal investigations and potential prosecutions, it creates a circular situation where it can never actually be invoked. The American people in history are entitled to know the depth and breadth of crimes committed by the people serving in their names. Investigations and prosecutions should proceed accordingly. It serves two critical purposes. Obviously, I'm reading this because I had to write it down. First, history will record every criminal act for which the person is convicted. Second, the full breadth and depth of each preemptive pardon will be public record. If there is no way to keep score, yeah. there's no way to judge the Bill, Bill, instead of reading this, just tell me, tell me, please, it's, it's very hard to follow people when they're reading. Yeah. Um, okay. Tell me, but, tell me but, your but, point. Okay. My point is, if, if, if let's say, let's say that, that Trump pardons all of his children, the way it's going right now by Judge Sullivan, what will happen is, Nobody will be investigated. No charges will be given. All, everything goes away. All is forgiven. What, what an incredible insult level. to history. Yes. Yeah. What an incredible yeah. insult I to agree. history. We, we need to know what crimes they committed. We need to see what crimes they would have been convicted of. And we need to know how the, this blanket pardon is being applied. Let's see. It turns out that Jared killed 15 people and Ivanka you know, uh, sold secrets to the Russians, whatever. Well, Jared Jared gave the Saudis the information to kill Khashoggi. I mean, you know, that should be at the top of the list. I get what you're saying, Bill. And and I think that, you know, if you look at Ford's pardon of Nixon, which ended all the investigations into Nixon, or George Herbert Walker Bush's uh, Christmas Eve pardon of Casper Weinberger and Ollie North and three other people in Iran-Contra so that they couldn't testify against George Bush. if you look at those pardons, that's exactly what happened, is all the investigations stopped. And in the case, certainly of Ali North, he, he was able to even redeem his own reputation um, because, you know, his crimes were never really fully revealed to the American public, although he, I believe he had already been convicted. But the only way that I can think of, I mean, you don't want the Justice Department burning really valuable, really rare resources investigating people who can never be prosecuted, right? The whole point of an investigation is to prepare a prosecution. So therefore, the way that that should be done is by, you know, some House or Senate committee, and if the Democrats don't get the Senate, I'm guessing it would be a House committee, that is impaneled specifically to look into and inform the American people about crimes committed by people, by persons who were pardoned, uh, you know, by the president, uh, you know, in a corrupt fashion, uh, you can't challenge the pardon because that power is more or less absolute. I mean, there are some pardons, arguably, you could challenge, but it would be up to the Supreme Court, and they're going to give him pretty wide latitude. But the the way I think to make Americans, you know, help Americans become very very clear about what these crimes were would be to do it that way, and that that would be a public airing of them. And, and like that. Whether the Democrats are willing to invest the resources in that, because again, just like with the Justice Department, you know, what's the, what's the end point here? And I, I totally get your point that if the American people don't ever really know the extent of the crimes that were committed by these politicians, then how do we protect from, you know, against future politicians? I think that was the big lesson of Jerry Ford's pardon of Richard Nixon. And, and frankly, the big lesson of George Herbert Walker Bush's pardon of Weinberger and, and North at all, uh, which is very rarely discussed, but it was a huge news event in December of 1992.
So I'm with you, Bill. Did I, I just, answer your question and summarize I, what you were saying? You did. You're saying we shouldn't dedicate the resources. The flip side is if there's no, again, I like your idea, if there is no accountability, if there's, if there's no f- ultimate accountability for the potential crimes, uh, whether investigative committee or whatever, there's literally the gloves are off. Go into office, commit all the crimes you want, absolutely no concern for, for the, you know, for the, for the, uh, the punishment that may oh, be yeah. you just, you're describing the Republican Party right now, Bill, after oh, 40 yeah. years oh, no. of, of, of being oh, given he? passes, pass after pass after pass, oh. the GOP has decided, hey, you know, we can be criminals, we can be seditious, we can be traitors, it doesn't matter, we're not going to be held to account. Um, the, 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 one, the one party that can hold these folks to account in a, in a much more moderate way is the fourth estate, is the press. You know, Lamar Waldron, my old writing partner, wrote a brilliant book about the crimes of Richard Nixon around Watergate. It's absolutely must-reading. There get- have been several books written about Iran-Contra. But the fact of the matter is most people don't read books, and most people are never going to know that. But it, at least it gets it into the historical record. I know of no other way to do these things, Bill, unless you see something I'm missing. Stephen Schmidt, old Republican campaign guy, Stephen Schmidt was on Rachel Maddow mm-hmm. last night, and he did the most brilliant, like, minute and a half, two-minute synopsis. I'm sorry, it was on uh, Lawrence O'Donnell. He did the most brilliant mm-hmm. minute and a half, two-minute synopsis, and he basically said 106 Republicans with full knowledge, the, the education, the intelligence, the, the full knowledge <clears throat> that, that our next president is Joe Biden – has in fact, he said they in fact are totally just everything you've been saying this morning. They've totally overridden the constitution. They should be expelled. They're, they're active, yes, I, I, I am absolutely. I mean, yes, I I am absolutely there. And uh, this weekend, I intend to be writing an op-ed. It's absolutely there. And although probably you know a dozen other people will beat me to it after saying that, but we don't have accountability. We don't have a system. Sometimes Louise and I just crave a restaurant-quality dinner at home without doing all the work or driving. Well, Cook Unity is the first chef-to-you service delivering locally sourced meals from award-winning chefs right to your door every week. And it appears to be less expensive than other delivery options. Go to cookunity.com Hartman with two N's or enter the code Hartman with two N's before checking out for 50% off your first week. We just received our first meals from Cook Unity And what a huge difference it is to get the best chefs in the country to bring creative, delicious meals to us and you every week. Every meal is handcrafted by chefs and made in local micro kitchens, not large production facilities. We just had the chipotle maple glazed salmon with green beans and mango pico de gallo. It had everything we love in a meal. They have all sorts of options like vegan, paleo, pescatarian, gluten-free, and more. Menus are posted two weeks in advance so you have plenty of time to choose. Experience chef-quality meals every week delivered right to your door. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman with two N's or enter the code Hartman with two N's before checking out for 50% off your first week. That's 50% off your first week by using the code Hartman or going to cookunity.com slash Hartman. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be.
Jeremiah in Coalport, Pennsylvania. Hey, Jeremiah, what's on your mind today? Hey, Tom, we've uh, witnessed Trump break multiple laws and get away with it. I was wondering, worst case scenario, Republicans maintain the Senate. How do you feel about Joe Biden defying the Medicare law and directing health and human services to say, we're going to negotiate for lower drug prices? Republicans would, of course, say, well, you can't do that. It's against the law. And then Joe Biden could say, okay, well, you know, pass the law. And they'll say, well, we don't want to do that. Fine. Explain it to the American people. So what if we did that? And also, if he directed... It's a great strategy for naming and shaming. Yeah. And also directing the postmaster general. Just reserve retirement funds for five to ten years. No more 75 years. Is that something well, I, that... I don't even think they need a reserve at all like that. And they've got, I mean, they've already got, what, $40, 50000000000 billion in the reserve fund now that they've been saving up for the last decade. You know, right. that should get blown up, too. Whether that would work or not, I mean, you know, it's obviously the Republicans would take it to court and the courts would say, no, you no, you know, President Biden, you can't do that. And that might allow them to portray him as another Donald Trump, you know, trying to do things extra, extra legally, not outside the boundaries of the law. But, you know, some sort of political stunt, uh, you know, where I agree with you, Jeremiah, is some sort of political stunt is I think uh, the Democrats need to get their political theater act together and they need to do it quickly. Thank you, Jeremiah. Thanks for the call. Jessica in Chicago. Hey, Jessica, what's up? Yes, yes, yes. To everything you guys are saying. And yes, Thank you. To should they be expelled, especially if they think the election was fraud. Get them out of there. Those hundred and six members. Well, I don't care what they think, Jessica. I think they should be expelled because they sent a letter to the U.S. Supreme Court saying that a certified election should be overturned. That is sedition. That, you know, yeah. I mean, we, we need to take people. You go after people for their actions, not what they not with not their thoughts. I agree. And then we need to tell Trump head into the light. And don't just make it Mar-a-Lago. Keep going. Go to Saudi, where they have a palace waiting for you. And let's just call the Republican Party the death party, because that's who they are. They don't care about life. They, they, they a- call for Trump's impeachment now. They're, the whole country is in danger of extreme death tolls from the coronavirus. And We're already experiencing extreme death tolls. Yeah. We've got more people dying every day than died on 9-11. We've got, we've got more people dying than died on Pearl Harbor Day. We're going to have twice as many people dying every day as died in Pearl Harbor in about three, four weeks. I mean, you know, when you look at the hospitalization rates and the inevitable death rates that follow them, it's, it's absolutely insane. Um, with regard to Trump going to Saudi Arabia, that. Yeah, he's he's got properties all around the world, and he could probably show he could probably show up pretty much anywhere. He definitely wants to go someplace where there's not an extradition treaty. But Jessica, you may find it interesting that uh, there are several reports in the press saying that the uh, within Russia, the Russian state media, you know, the commentators talking to each other and things like this, they're all discussing. Um, you know, whether or not Donald Trump and, and advocating, basically, that Donald Trump should be given uh, a, an opportunity to come to Russia like Ed Snowden did, uh, yeah. be given refuge, build his tower, whatever he wants to do, you know, uh, just become a good guy in Russia. I'd say, you know, yeah. see you later, Donald. I, I'm OK with that. Rick in Mobile, Alabama. Hey, Rick, what's up? Several weeks ago, you had a caller who was concerned about the 2022 election. And you seem to be pretty upbeat about it. And I was 
just very disappointed in 2010 after all the people that supported Obama in 2008, you know, did not support him in the 2010 election. And it just seemed like everything went downhill from there. There's going to be what you might call exogenous factors, you know, external factors that are going to influence this election. And we have yet to see how well they're going to pop up and where their focus is going to be. But that's what happened in 2010. When Barack Obama was elected, um, you had basically two things. Number one, there was a massive white backlash, which was really well embodied and defined and uh, articulated and, and, and shown by Donald Trump's birtherism. And so this whole theory that, oh, he's an illegitimate president, he's a black guy in the White House, that's not possible. You know, that's why we call it the White House, you know, or, or whatever, you know, that, that kind of stuff. But, but the other thing that happened that I think was even more consequential, frankly, although they were synergistic, was uh, they supported each other, was that the uh, Coke Network and other right-wing billionaires poured all kinds of money into FreedomWorks and a couple of other organizations. FreedomWorks was kind of the point of the spear. Um, to rent these uh, $300,000 buses all over the country and find local people, most of this, much of this organized through Facebook again, and uh, created this organization, or actually they took an organization that had been created back in the 1980s by the tobacco industry to create grass, a phony grassroots upswell for smokers' rights. And the smokers' rights group was called the Tea Party. And it was started by the tobacco lobby. And you know, it really never went anywhere. They, they just couldn't light a fire under this thing, to, to mangle a metaphor. No pun intended. And so, you know, the Koch brothers re, reinvented that and brought it back to life. And, and, the, and, the, and the thing that they levered it around was Obamacare. And you combine that with the fact that they knew that 2010 was a year that ends with zero. And so they wanted, every, you know, they, they wanted to seize control of as many state houses as possible so that they could control redistricting and they could gerrymander the hell out of the rest of, of the United States, um, thus cementing Republican holds on power for a long, long time. I mean, you know, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Michigan, all three of these states, the majority of people in the last couple of elections have voted for, for Democrats, to send them to Congress, to send them to, uh, you know, whatever. And yet their legislatures are still controlled by Republicans and their congressional dele delegations are controlled by Republicans. That's because of gerrymandering. And, that, and so there was that enormous effort. Well, 2022 is not uh, a, a, a year where, you know, a census year. But we don't know yet what kind of money is going to come into this thing. And we don't know how they're going to turn it. So I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic. You're listening to the Tom Hartman program. And the source of my optimism is that Donald Trump is going to be disgraced. And I think many of his followers are going to fall away. I, I may be a starry-eyed optimist, but I think I'm right. in Waterloo, Iowa. Hey, Mary, what's on your mind today? Well, back when I was listening to the Kelly Loeffler and Reverend Warnock debate, Kelly mm -hmm. Loeffler stated that Biden was going to raise taxes on $75,000 wages and less. And Warnock didn't mm -hmm. say anything. And none of our Democrat uh, representatives or senator running for senator ever mentioned anything about Taxes being raised on people earning seventy-five thousand or less. 
And I know right. when and I Biden has the, made very, very clear that he is only going to raise taxes on people making more than $400,000 a year, period, full stop. I know he, but it, but uh, it's already written in the tax code. What is? That the taxes are going to go up on $75,000 or less on wages. Oh, you're right. Oh, so what you're saying, oh, I just, I, the penny just fell for me, Mary. Thank you. So what you're saying is that when Donald Trump got his 2017 tax, a trillion and a half dollar tax cut for billionaires, buried in that was that starting in 2021, starting in about two weeks, the taxes on people making less than $75,000 are going to start going up and they're going to start going up substantially. And, it's, and they're going to go up every year until 2029. That is yeah. Donald Trump's law that was passed by the Republicans and that Kelly Leffler accused Warnock and the Democrats of being the source of that tax increase. And I was wondering how did I know it's there's so much to remember when they're debating. Does mm-hmm. the Democrat Party really actually get some of these facts across? They're Democrats. The Democratic Party has. Yeah, the Democratic Party does just a miserable job of both internal and external messaging. And, you know, part of it is that there are so many factions within the Democratic Party. You've yeah. got some very, very conservative Democrats who are, too, frankly, to the, to the right of Ronald Reagan. You've got some uh, very progressive Democrats. You've got a whole bunch of people in the middle. Uh, you've got some who are heavily funded by individual industries, um, you know, that happen to be big in their particular districts. Um, and, you know, this causes conflict. I mean, it's, whereas the Republicans have been far more in lockstep. Basically, they're taking money from any billionaire that wants to give it to them and any corporation that wants to give it to them. And they hire really, really good messaging people. So it's a tough one. Al in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Hey, Al, what's on your mind? Hey, Tom. You get me so riled up in support of what you say while I'm on hold, I forget about what I'm calling for. It says here you want to talk about McConnell. Yes, uh, he's digging his heels in and coming to a deal with Pelosi because of funding of state and federal uh, budgets. And she's digging her heels in on the liability uh, for, for employers. McConnell comes from a state and balances his budget in Kentucky from federal funding every year, every year, regardless of pandemic or not. How come that is never brought up? And why do the Democrats not dig in their heels and mention the hypocrisy of what he's saying? He can't run his state without federal funding. He's like number two. Yeah, this was my this was my Twitter rant yesterday was that we need to pass a law that says that no state can get more than a dollar and a half back from Washington, D.C. for every dollar they send to D.C. Kentucky right now gets two dollars and forty one cents for every dollar they send to D.C. That should be outlawed. And we should call that bill welfare reform. And exactly. <laughs> just go at it. You know, heads on. I called, a, I called a couple of weeks ago when uh, you had Congressman Buchanan on, and I had the same conversation with him, and he didn't give a, 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 a thorough answer on this, but uh, McConnell relies on this money, and he's out there yeah. complaining about the blue states. It's complete hypocrisy. Yeah. No, I, I get it. And, and, and it's mind boggling that <laughs> that the, the last, uh, you know, stimulus legislation over on Fox News and on right wing hate radio was referred to as a blue state bailout. <laughs> really? I mean, I get it that, you know, it's kind of alliterative and, you know, it sounds kind of cool, but really? 
This is the Tom Hartman Program. Speaking the truth, the multinational corporations would really rather you didn't know all about. Jeff in Portland, Oregon. Hey, Jeff, what's on your mind? You know, I wanted to refer back to the caller yesterday asking you what you have against rich people. And, Tom, I think we need to flip that around because it seems to me that before the so-called Reagan revolution from, like, about 1932 to 1980, the middle class in this country, the working people, had a healthy distrust, even a disdain for the obscenely rich. And during that time, we built the, as you often say, we built the largest middle class in the history of the world. And, you know, you were saying earlier, starting in the 60s and 70s, these rich guys like the Koch brothers got together and started plotting. You know, in my opinion, in 1980, they found they hit jackpot. They found their shiny, happy puppet Reagan. And besides fomenting this distrust in government, saying government isn't the solution, it's the problem. And and that's why we got Mitch McConnell, if you ask me. But also, Reagan demonized poor people. He stoked racism, you know, making up stories about so-called welfare queens driving Cadillacs, et cetera, et cetera. And that began, you know, this Republican Party and their worship of the wealthy. And the end result is the gross caricature that is Donald Trump, the guy who's got so much blood on his hands from this pandemic and is currently trying to subvert our democracy. Don't you think, you know, you've mentioned it before, but that whole thing about turning America's attention, instead of looking up with skepticism to the, to the rich people and turning it down and having scorn for people you know, struggling, that, that changed our whole psyche and, and really allowed for them to get away with this massive reverse Robin Hood, $40 trillion of money uh, transferred from the working and middle class to the rich. Isn't it $40 trillion during this, this last 40 I've seen, years? I've seen like various that? numbers going from as low as $12 trillion to as high as 40 yeah. Um, I, you know, Jeff, I think that if we don't look at the actual structural stuff that happened, and just, you know, assume that this is all about memes and political messaging. We miss the boat. This shift in wealth from working people to the top was the result largely of a couple of things. Number one, Reagan's destruction of the union movement. Number two, yeah. Reagan's dropping the top tax rate from 74% down to 25%. And number three, Reagan's stopping the enforcement of the Sherman Antitrust Act and other antitrust laws. Um, which allowed monopolies to explode across the American landscape. And the monopolies, you know, are among the, the worst offenders when it comes to only paying minimum wage or close to it. So, you know, we have to recognize that there's kind of a whole thing here. Yes, Reagan was the guy who put it into place. Uh, Republicans have been pushing for it since the Goldwater era when the Republican Party left behind Eisenhower and decided to go toward what ultimately became Reaganism. You know, it was put into place there. And I, I think we need to point those things out. And then I think the meme will take care of itself. Jeff, I got to run, but thanks for the call. Very thoughtful conversation. I appreciate it. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, all into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. It's accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. 
You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash Hartman with two N's. netsuite.com slash Hartman. That's netsuite.com slash Hartman. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Kurt from uh, Beverly Hills. Hey, Kurt, what's up? Hey, if my memory serves me well, during President Obama's first term, uh, the Republican Party went through a lot of trouble to eliminate so-called uncertainty in the economy, uh, albeit it was just for big corporations. Do you remember that? The, you're talking about the, what was it, a $900 billion bailout bill that they finally negotiated? Well, yeah, that, but they, they kept saying they wanted to extend the, the Bush tax cuts because they wanted to make sure that corporations had oh. certainty in the market, oh, and that yeah. would help the economy to grow yeah. if there was certainty. Right. So my question is, though, why now is the GOP leaving the American people in so much uncertainty about the economy by not passing the current stimulus bill? Because if I'm not mistaken, Congress regulates commerce. They pretty much set the rules for the banks. So, you know... I'm just trying to figure out why have the American people been asked to tighten their belt and not work and stay home for the pandemic, but the financial sector, they don't have to do anything. I mean, they're still charging 23.99% interest compounded monthly on credit cards. They say, oh, you don't have to make a payment. We're fine. You, you just skip a payment, but you skip a payment. That builds a credit, a credit bubble. And then if you do make a payment, they snatch away your available credit. You know, you pay yep. down a car, yep. next thing I'm, you know, boom, they snatch five grand from you. So you can't win for losing. Yeah. I, I, I totally get it, Kurt. And, and, and I'm going to um, go out on a little bit of a limb here, but I don't think of a very large one. I believe that what's going on here, and I'm, I've not seen any commentators basically lay this out in any of the, you know, in the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times, the Washington Post, anything like that, Financial Times, the, the papers that I read every morning. But what I think is going on is that Mitch McConnell is betting that the Republican messaging is so much better than the Democratic messaging. He has gotten away with blocking the HEROES Act since June or May, actually. It was passed in May in the House of Representatives. So we've had you know, six months here almost where the Democrats have been offering a solution to the nation's problems, funding our schools, funding our cities, funding our police, funding, you know, basically the basic functions, giving 600 bucks a week to everybody who's unemployed, extending long-term unemployment benefits into the middle of next year, all that stuff, you know, propping up state and local governments. And, but there's been no peep about it in the press. And McConnell's looking at that going, okay, I can get away with this. We're going to make things so miserable, so god-awful miserable, so, so wretched for the American people by not going along with the Democrats in, in helping people out. And we're, we're betting, the Republicans, they're, they're betting, McConnell is betting, 
that the American people will blame the Democrats or generically blame Congress rather than blame the Republicans for this. And the result will be widespread discontent with Joe Biden and the Democrats, and that will help them in the 2022 election. I think that, that McConnell is intentionally trying to ratchet up the pain on average Americans, on working class Americans, and, and poor, poor Americans, particularly those who vote. And, and he's doing that totally cynically uh, to advance his own power and, and the wealth that comes from that power. So that's my theory, Kurt, and, uh, and I'm standing by it. Boy, what a day, huh? I read most of Ken Paxton's pleading. I shared a lot of that with you at the beginning of the week when it first dropped. I think it was on Monday. And now I've read the, uh, the, the this was filed with the Supreme Court yesterday. In this case, state of Texas v. Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, Georgia, Michigan, and Wisconsin. This is the opposition to motion for leave to file bill of complaint and motion for preliminary injunction, temporary standing restraining order or stay. I think they misspelled temporary in this, which is unfortunate. But anyhow, this is from the uh, states. And just to give you the, um, it, it runs about 40 pages. And just to give you the overview, this is the table of contents. Uh, Mail-in voting under the Pennsylvania Election Code, number one. Number two, the 2020 general election. Number three, Texas's allegations regarding Pennsylvania have already been rejected by both state and federal courts. Next, Texas's claims do not. These are the these are the titles for the subheads for the you know for the portions of this filing with the Supreme Court by these four states in defense against Texas. Texas's claims do not meet the exacting standard necessary for the court to exercise its original jurisdiction. Texas does not present a viable case in controversy. Texas lacks standing to bring this issue. This action, this untimely action, is moot. In other words, hey, the election's already over. You can't do this. Uh, Texas fails to state a constitutional violation. Texas does not assert a meritorious electors clause claim. Texas has no basis for any equal protection or due process claim against Pennsylvania. Texas is not entitled to the extraordinary preliminary injunction it seeks. Texas cannot meet the high standard for injunctive relief. And Texas's request to disenfranchise tens of millions of voters who reasonably reply, relied upon the law at the time of the election does great damage to the public interest. The question, in my mind, I, I you know, I, I told you when this first was filed, and 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 uh, I think we were one of probably one of the first places to break the news, actually, report the news. I didn't break it. Was that I thought that. You know, at the most, there was a 5% chance that the Supreme Court would seriously consider this case and issue any sort of um, uh, really ruling on behalf of Texas. Um, I think that probability now is less than 1%. Uh, it is still a threat, and the fact that it's a threat should cause all of us, Democrats, Republicans, conservatives, uh, liberals, moderates, independents, I mean, whatever your political stripe, if you believe in our Constitution, or at least the concepts of our Constitution in a representative democratic republic, we hire representatives to do our work for us and defend and, and to uh, advocate for our interests and legislate on our behalf. We do it through winner-take-all elections, which is what's called democracy, the democratic part of it. And it, we operate, and we operate, you know, beginning to end, 
within the framework of law, the a republic, a republican form of government. And, you know, this is just an absolute, full-blown, all-out assault on that, this attempt. And I think it needs to be recognized as such, and it needs to, to be taken on as such. And uh, this is just a, a few quotes, by the way, from the, uh, from the counter, it's not a countersuit, from the defense offered by Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Michigan, and, and Georgia. Uh, this is from the Pennsylvania Attorney General. The state of Texas has now added its, its voice to the cacophony of bogus claims. This is literally what they're saying to the Supreme Court, These are word for word. Its request for this court is legally indefensible and is an affront to principles of constitutional democracy. What Texas is doing in this proceeding is to ask this court to reconsider a mass of baseless claims about problems with the election that have already been considered and rejected by this court and others. Texas obviously lacks standing to bring such claims. Texas has not suffered harm simply because it dislikes the result of the election. This includes, uh, they, they talk about uh, Texas, the cascading series of compounding defects in Texas's filings is only underscored by the surreal, surreal alternate reality that these filings attempt to construct. That alternate reality, this is the state of Pennsylvania speaking to the Supreme Court that about Texas. That alternate reality includes an absurd statistical analysis positing that the probability of President-elect Biden winning the election was, and then they actually quote from the Republican complaint where the Republicans, where Ken Paxton, you know, in his effort to get Donald Trump to pardon him, writes this thing to the Supreme Court. And literally, this is a quote from Texas's filing with the Supreme Court. The statistical probability of Joe Biden winning the election is one in a quadrillion. End quote. That's somewhere between absurd and obscene, right? It was number six, item number six in their bill of complaints. And then back to Pennsylvania. The court should not abide this seditious abuse. Seditious abuse. You think I'm on a high horse or yelling about these guys here saying they should be expelled from the House? Here is the state of Pennsylvania officially saying to the United States Supreme Court that the state of Texas and all of their allies are engaged in sedition. The court should not abide this seditious abuse of the judicial process and should send a clear and unmistakable signal that such abuse must never be replicated. Do I hear an amen? Russ in Hickory Hill, Illinois. Hey, Russ, what's up? I had a call because you know, I had a laugh. Jennifer Rubin, Rick Tyler. All of a sudden now, it's the great Ronald Reagan's fault that this party's in this shape today. If they would have reined him really? in. Yeah, oh, Joe Scarborough's going off on all, all the stuff that this guy did wrong. And, and I'm laughing. I'm going, yeah, ain't it funny now, 40 years later, now that all his cynical people who would back him are dead. So you figure you can get a pass on it. Don't blame Trump. Yeah. Blame Ronald Reagan for our problem. Which really, Tom, yeah. it's the blue dog Democrats. Tip O'Neill, Chris Matthews' boss. He helped them. He was in charge of the Senate. And let's be honest, Tom, let's go back to this election. All you blue dog Democrats in Maine who put Susan Collins in when she was down by seven to win by nine, 
there ain't enough Republicans yeah. in Maine to put her back in. Um, maybe I'm wrong, but yeah. we help these people. Well, there's a lot of independents, and Maine is, large parts of Maine tend to think of themselves as kind of almost a separate country. And perhaps a good reason. I mean, they're geographically isolated. Well, I wish they should see, like, uh, what's his name says. Yeah. But I, I get your uh, point, Limbaugh. Russ. The, the one thing I would add to it is that my wife makes jokes that on my tombstone it's going to say it all started with Reagan. And I've been singing that mantra on, on this program for 18 years and, and in my writings for 30 years or longer. That said, it really all started with the guys who funded Reagan. And oh, yeah. almost nobody's talking about that. And it started with the guys who funded the John Birch Society in the 1960s. And the, and the principal one among them was Fred Koch, funding these billboards all over the United States, starting in around 1956, that really picked up steam in 61 after John Kennedy was sworn in, that said impeach Earl Warren. The day that Kennedy came into Dallas, the full-page ad in Black Border calling for Kennedy's impeachment and removal from office for essentially treason. These right-wing billionaires really got this show on the road, and, the, and, and other right-wing billionaires have continued it. I mean, you know, Robert and Rebecca Mercer funding the, the, whole, uh, the whole thing to via Facebook, you know, with Cambridge Analytica and everything that put Donald Trump in the White House in 2016. You know, Mark Zuckerberg enthusiastically going along with it. I really think that we need to be looking at the whole thing, at this thing holistically, at, 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 systemically. It's not just one guy. It's not just like, you know, uh, yes, in the case, in this moment right now, the one guy is Donald Trump and he's, you know, leading the crusade. But it wasn't just Reagan. Reagan, Reagan was a made man. He was made by Nancy Davis's father's rich buddies in California first and then General Electric second, who put him on a national stage and tour and traveled him all around the United States. And then, you know, by the by the usual suspects. You know the hunts and the and the cokes and whatnot in the 1980s, and they and they continue to, to fund I mean, every single state. You know these state policy institutes. Every single state in the United States has a separate think tank, right wing think tank that just feeds information to right wing talk show hosts every single day. Local hosts, local information. There's nothing like this on the left. There was for a short while the Center for American Progress, sort of, but they were right in the middle and they were taking money from big corporations and it was kind of a mess. Let's look at the whole system here. John in West Allis, Wisconsin. Hey, John, you got a minute to the end of the hour. What's up? I think we need a law to stop this type of attempted election stealing. And the law should be fairly simple. First of all, that all votes that are considered acceptable and certified by any state are valid ballots and will be counted, period. And secondly, that if you think that there is an invalid ballot, you need to go through the ballots one by one and only throw out those that are proven to be fraudulent. Which is going to require paper ballots. But would you change your mind if I was to tell you that there's some growing evidence that something really hinky was going on in Kentucky, which is why Mitch McConnell won, even though all the polls said that Amy, Amy McGrath was going to win? Keep in mind, John, things always cut two ways. I got to run, but thank you. Hey, special thanks to Louise Hartman, Sean Taylor, Nate Atwell, Jamie Holly, Joyce the Hammer Nance, Nigel Peacock, Sue Nethergood, Patrick Hoyt, Geraldine Halbert, Dave Fulton, Ron Hartenbaum, Chase Spross, Nicholas Miller, Pat Sweeney, and Jabbermocky, the people who helped keep this show going. Thank you so much, and thank you to you for your support of our program. 
uh, whether it's calling out our sponsors and saying hi to them or supporting our nonprofit stations. Thank you. Thank you so much. Take good care of yourself and spread the word. Tag your it. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com. 